welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. So glad that you are here. My name is Micah. I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken, and so grateful that you uh, decided to spend your evening with us. Um, Every year at Awaken, we do a series that we call the Advent Art Series, and it happens to be one of my favorite that we do all year. I was telling somebody earlier, typically during the Advent Art Series, there's not as much pressure for me to be really all that good, because typically the art that's shared and the things that are shared are just fantastic. So uh, I'm excited for you to hear from my friends Sarah and Michael. Um, We typically ask the artists, uh, a writer and a visual artist, to create around the themes of Advent. So themes of hope and desire and anticipation, waiting, longing. And so would you please welcome and put a, a round of applause together for our friends Sarah Nelson and Michael Donnelly. Merry Christmas Eve. Um, My name is Sarah Nelson, um, and because I have a microphone and I don't normally get a chance to say this to everyone in in their face, um, I just, it's, it means so much to me that you're a part of this community. Um, As an artist, there aren't many churches that make this kind of space and room for people like me and and with the gifts that I've been given to, to share that with you and to have that be valued. Um, So thank you both to the staff and, and to those of you here, um, just that's not common, so thank you. Um, when signing up to be a part of the visual component of Advent, um, as Micah said, we were prompted with ideas surrounding waiting, darkness, light. Um, and this year I had the real honor of sharing thoughts and collaborating with Michael Donnelly, who will share more in a moment. Um, and we, we shared how this time and these themes um, were affecting us personally. And he shared a lot about how um, he's been contemplating how saying yes to a love that will continually say yes no matter what the cost is. Um, And I was contemplating how receiving that kind of love has been affecting my life. Um, And with that, we kind of got to sunrises and sunsets, which takes me to my piece, um, which is this little guy down here. And it might show up up there um, on the screen at some point. (laughs) And if not, I just welcome you to go over there. Um, Oh, yeah, it's up there. Um, And it's not necessarily an impressive work of art. I, this entire last year, had been working on this weird project where I would match my marker sets, I work a lot with markers, with uh, the colors in a sunrise, trying to get them as close as they can be. And it doesn't, again, create a very impressive piece, but it, it kind of creates this, this mark of a moment um, that passes pretty quickly. And it, it kind of ends up being these ingredients of a morning. And I title them sunrise, then the date, and sometimes I add a location. Um, and in documenting this moment that happens every day, it's also documenting this moment when the light breaks through darkness. It breaks through quietly, but it's majestic. And nature celebrates it with birdsong, temperature change, flowers opening up. And this entrance of this kind of light, it changes the world. Most of us wake up once it's quiet, or most of us wake up once this quiet but magnificent entrance is over and the sun is actively like illuminating everything. And somehow the sunrise starts to seem much like a baby being born in a place where no one's watching. But the angels are singing and the stars are shining. And this event that hardly anyone is awake for, they seem to carry some similarities. Um, there's light in the world, 
Light in the darkness, it didn't come as day, but it came as a baby, a colorful, untraditional, unexpected story. It's the quiet but immensely powerful movement or moment when the darkness is overcome. I really believe that the earth and the heavens felt it, that nature celebrated it, and I think it really does today through moments like this. So my friends, what I have for you today is our sunrise from this morning. <laughs> and um, honestly, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I really thought it was going to be full of color. <laughs> I really thought it was going to be one of those, I did it. <laughs> Let's celebrate. I came to the earth and peace is here. Um, but it didn't. It came as shades of gray. Um, and Honestly, at first I was disappointed and I was standing by our window just waiting for this color to show up. Um, and then as I thought about it and I, this was what I had for you guys, I, I had to sit with it for a moment in my panic of like, oh no, what am I going to give to you guys today? Um, but what I realized is this is exactly what I needed. God doesn't show up where we want to be, he shows up where we are. And a lot of times that's light this little shimmer of yellow light hovering above the city mixed with some heavy cloud cover. Um, so, our sunrise. And with that sunrise, some of these words I want to share with you, these are the words that I hear just whispered quietly um, when, I, when I look at this. I love you, and I'm with you, and I'm big enough in any form of darkness, it's a season. And light is coming. Love is coming. It's here. Merry Christmas Eve, friends. With that, I really want to welcome Michael Donnelly to the stage. I think some artists may have... Uh, taken a sunrise like this morning and, and felt the need to make it more than it was. And I love that, that you painted it the way it came out. And that's really, really cool. I've been married to Joy for 29 years. And we have two kids, Emma, who's 20, and Lewis. Last year, at about exactly this time, our son, Louis, uh, 16, died. And it's been a tough year. And so as I signed up to write for, for this series, I knew that that story had to be part of, of what I was talking about, but I didn't want it to just be about that. I wanted it to be universal, something that everybody can, can uh, relate to. And so... I framed it around a question, a question that I've been wrestling with, and, but I, I, I hope that you find it's a universal question, a question that you wrestle with, um, and so I hope this speaks to you where, where you need it. Before dawn, the silhouette of a woman at her window turns to deep blue, then slowly warms gold, revealing Mary's aging eyes still open on the other side of this long night. Sleep is hard to come by, even after all these years. The sound of the world waking up doesn't reach her, until a knock on the door startles her back into her skin. Mary opens the door to find her niece, Rachel, eight months pregnant and haggard. 
She hasn't slept either. Rachel pushes through the door and finds her usual spot to sit and recite her latest fears and discomforts. As always, Mary's, Mary listens. So many fears. Will her baby survive the birth? Will there be enough money? Will she be a good mom? Will she be able to keep her child safe? What if there's disease or disability or, God forbid, death? I don't know how to do this, she says, tears falling freely. By the end of the monologue, morning has brightened up the small room. Breakfast is over, and Rachel sits back with a sigh, and Mary smiles. Then Rachel's eyes change, and she looks up at Mary with a new thought. Was it worth it? Rachel asks, and Mary's smile fades. Everything you went through, everything you saw. Are you glad you said yes to that angel, or do you ever regret it? Mary looks away. No one has ever asked her this question before. After so many years of sunsets and sunrises, she still sees things in the dark that haunt her. Her son broken. Her son dying. Her son lifeless. And in the quiet hours, she still weeps. Mary knows the heaven part, the resurrection, People comfort her with a reminder. Well, she knows he's alive. Thank you, but he's not alive here. Spiritual truths have never stopped empty arms from aching. Never. She looks out the window and thinks of the sleepless nights, thinks of sunrise and sunset, these colorful moments at either side of every day that look so much alike but are so different beginnings and endings, rising and falling, living and dying, that sacred cycle. She looks back at Rachel, sees the seriousness in her eyes, the question in the air, would Mary still say yes, even if she knew she was saying yes to grief? Oh, Rachel, Mary says, yes is such a dangerous word. And when I said it to the angel, I did not know what I was saying. We never do. I can't promise you things that are not mine to promise. It is the divine risk, the risk of loving. Rachel waits. But you asked me a question. Knowing what I know, seeing what I've seen, would I do it again? Would I still say yes? Mary leans forward and says, Look at my eyes. See the heaviness and the lightness together. Look at the lines. Look at my smile. My son is there in all of it. The heaviness and the lightness together. Every line around these eyes is etched in love. Rachel's eyes fill with tears. Yes, Mary says, 
Yes, yes, yes. Every night and every morning, yes. Tears and laughter, yes. All of it, oh yes, yes. Well, again, uh, welcome to you. My name is Micah. Um, if you are new and uh, you, you're making your way to Awaken for the first time or, or near the first time, I want to welcome you. If you're looking for a community to connect with, we would love to know that you are here. There are some cards in the seat pockets or the pews in front of you. Um, and our commitment to you is if you fill one of those out, somebody from our team will reach out to you and try to connect and set up a time to get together. Uh, and then the other thing is if you came with ties or offerings or year-end gifts, all of those things can go in the black boxes there by each of the exits. So that is that. Um, Welcome to the culmination of a season we call Advent. This is my favorite season in the church calendar. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And the word Advent comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and that comes from a Greek word. The New Testament's written in Greek. It's perusia, and it means presence or arrival or coming, like an official visit. And so this season of Advent is the arrival of something, the waiting for the arrival of something. Uh, according to a book called Living the Liturgical Year, the author says, since the time of Bernard Clairvaux in the 1100s, Christians have spoken about three comings. The coming of Christ in the flesh in Bethlehem, in our hearts daily, and in glory at the end of time. And so here we are tonight, remembering the first coming of Christ in Bethlehem. Uh, being invited to remember and think about this idea of Christ coming into our lives daily, and then anticipating the coming once again. So Advent, it's, uh, it's also the beginning of the church calendar, if you didn't know that, and it's a journey that begins with this waiting, this hope for an arrival of the Christ, and ultimately leading to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and then the spirit given to the church. Um, it's a journey like many others in our lives. It begins in darkness and in quiet and in stillness, in a womb-like place where Seeds of life are planted and then are nurtured and grow and are birthed. And so we gather tonight on this night of nights to remember, but to be invited. And tonight's about invitation. An invitation to uh, possibly into new beginnings. An invitation to leave something that needs to be left behind so that something else can be held on to. An invitation to trust that there's something more going on, that in fact we're not alone in the universe, but there is more happening, an invitation to pause, pause maybe just long enough to ask questions that really matter, questions about God and about ourselves and about the world that we live in. Somebody after first hour, they said, Micah, you really went for it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I got a captive audience. I got something to say. It's Christmas Eve, people. So we're going to talk a little bit about a song in Luke's gospel. We've been looking at the canticles of Luke, and there are four of them. Mary's song called the Magnificat. Um, Zachariah's song, the father of John the Baptist, called the Benedictus. Last week, we looked at Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis, and tonight, the, the angel's song, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. You've probably heard that song before. In Luke's gospel, uh, there are these four songs in the first two chapters, and so tonight, we turn our attention to the angels. You heard Ruby tell this story that we've heard so many times about a census taken, and a pregnant Mary and Joseph making their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, she gives birth to a boy named Jesus, wraps him in swaddling clothes, places him in a manger. All the while, shepherds are watching their flocks nearby, and an angel appears to them and says, good news for all, peace has come. On this very night in the city of David, a Messiah has been born, 
And you will know this by a sign that the baby will be wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And then a heavenly host appears in the sky and sings glory to God in the highest. Peace uh, on earth, peace to whom his favor rests. And I always, I try to imagine myself in the story sometimes. Like, could you imagine being there on that night? You know, the shepherds doing what they do, just hanging out in the night. And then the night sky just lights up and angels are singing glory to God in the highest. Three questions I want to ask about this song that the, the angels sing. Um, who's worthy of glory? What or how is peace on earth accomplished? And who does God's favor really rest on? Uh, Luke's gospel is a story. It's a narrative. It's a story. And Luke's version of the story about this baby who becomes this man, Jesus the Christ. Uh, it's different than Matthew's and Mark's and John's because Luke's got something to say. He wants you to know certain things about this story because he knows that stories shape the world. We think about stories sometimes and we think they're for kids, but there's a deep wisdom with stories because they actually, they animate our lives. They are the things that drive us to do the things that we do. They're the things that motivate us to act in certain ways. It's the stories that we believe are true. One author says that the destiny of the world is determined less by the battles lost and won than by the stories it loves and believes in. And Luke knows that stories shape the world. So Luke He's got something, he's got something to say. And when the angels say that glory to God in the highest, peace on earth on whom his favor rests, yeah, he's telling us what the angels have said, but he's also telling us a radical, deeply subversive story about what's going on at the levels, the deepest levels of human history. So first, who is worthy of glory? Who or what do we ascribe ultimate worth to? I mean, we don't talk about the idea of glory much anymore. You don't walk into Target and say to the cashier, you know, you look glorious today. Like, we don't speak in that kind of language, right? But glory is this idea of ascribing worth to something. Like, who or what is the lens through which you see the world? What's the thing that shapes everything that you do and see in the world? What's the, 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 what's the, the ballast in the ship that gets you across the sea of life? One of the things that we miss easily when we tell this story, uh, because often it's connected to trees and lights and wrapping papers and presents, is how political and subversive Luke's version of this story is. And Luke, maybe more than any of the other gospels, he's got something to say that is really, really charged. It'd be like if somebody in the 50s in in England was like, God save the baby, instead of God save the queen. I've been watching The Crown a lot. Is anybody into The Crown lately? God save the queen, God save the king. Or, or like if someone, an American, were to um, like kneel instead of stand during the national anthem or something like that. <laughs> Snaps, Mikey. You, you can't talk politics. It's Christmas Eve. But Luke's talking politics. Like what he's saying is charged. It'd be like somebody saying, I pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God. It's that kind of charge. It's that kind of message that he's trying to say and give Because everybody in Luke's day and age, everybody that knew the story and knew who deserved glory would say, it's Caesar and Caesar alone. And Luke's like, no, actually, it's something else. It's somebody else. There's a guy, I've brought him up before, but uh, his name is just worth, it's it's worth repeating, a guy named Ethelbert Stauffer. Any pregnant ladies in the room, you're welcome for that. Uh, You can look for a good name there. He's a a theologian and a historian, and Ethelbert Stauffer studied the coins of the Roman Empire. Because if you want to know what somebody really cares about, look at their money, because usually it's printed on there. And so when he studied the coins of ancient Rome, he found phrases like this. Salvation is to be found in none other save Augustus. There is no other name given to men in which they can be saved. Caesar is Lord. 
There was an inscription around the empire that said, August has been sent to us a savior. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of the gospel. That's how we translate good news. So deeply embedded in the Roman imagination is this idea that Caesar is Lord. No other name can anyone be saved other than Caesar. The birth of Augustus is to us good news, and so what Luke is saying is actually there's another story. There's another truth going on, and so when he's writing this letter and reporting what the angels say, it's clear that the only person worthy of glory in his day and in his time is Caesar and Caesar alone. Now, the word glory, in Greek, it's doxa, and in Hebrew, it's kavod or kabed. The root is kabed, and it means like uh, honor or renown or splendor. Uh, in Hebrew, it's this idea of being heavy or weighty, right? The thing, uh, for something to be worthy of glory, it's the ultimate, it's of ultimate weight. The angels along with Luke are saying that there's someone other than Caesar who is worthy of glory, and it is this Christ who was born in Bethlehem. So you might be thinking, Micah, that's great, interesting, fascinating, right? What does this have to do with us? We don't talk about glory anymore, and I would say to you, you're right, we don't. But we do, and we should think about, what's the thing that guides us? What's the idea that everything else is filtered through? What's the anchor upon which our lives is tethered? What's the foundation upon which our life is built? What's the lens through which everything that we do is guided and seen through? That's what you consider glory. That's what you worship. That's what you ascribe worth to. And this story is come, comes to us just like it did to the people who it came to first, and it's saying, you may think that something is worth glory or something is worth putting your life on and staking your life on it, and I'm saying that there's this small little baby who's born in Bethlehem, and you should consider giving him glory because he's the one. He's the way home. So the angels, they say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Now, how exactly is peace accomplished, we have to ask ourselves. What the angels announced to the shepherds is that peace has come. Like the long-awaited promise of the Messiah and the, 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 the Psalms and the Proverbs, like it's happened and it's here. And in Hebrew, this word peace is shalom. You've probably heard it before. And shalom means, yes, the absence of conflict or war, uh, but it's more than that. One author says it's universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. So what does it mean to say that peace has come for humans and animals and ecosystems and the whole cosmos Flourishing and wholeness and that which it was intended for has come and is possible. Now this is a story that's 2,000 years old, but the questions it's asking are as poignant then as it is now. Because when we watch the news, we recognize, whether it's East Asia or Africa or the Middle East, that what we don't have is peace, amen? So how does one accomplish? How does peace come? In Luke's world, there's a story about peace. Now, stories animate the world. Stories rule the world. Stories shape the world. And the story in the Roman Empire is the Pax Romana. You maybe have studied this in history class. The peace of Rome. Here's how it works. The Roman Empire goes and it conquers another land, another village, another town. And they take those people into their empire and they say, so long as you bow a knee to Caesar, the peace of Rome is yours. The Pax Romana is yours. And then an, uh, an announcement would be sent to all the empire, to the far-reaching corners of it, to say, good news, the euangelion of Rome has come and peace is yours. So long as you say Caesar is Lord, everything Rome affords you is yours. And they would keep this peace with peacekeepers. You may have seen people looking like this. You may think that this is Russell Crowe in The Gladiator, but I assure you it is not. It's a peacekeeper. And so when they say the Pax Romana is yours and it's come, how do they keep it? By men who stand on 
horses with swords and say, the peace of Rome is yours as long as you don't buck the system or you don't rock the boat. Peace is yours. Now, thankfully, we humans, we've evolved. In our version of peacekeeping, it's so much more sophisticated. I mean, it runs on tracks and, and tanks, and it looks a bit like this, right? These are UN peacekeepers. Now, the same thing that drove the Roman Empire to bring peace to the, to the empire, the preservation of self at all cost is the same thing that drives many of our efforts for peacekeeping. And if you stop and think about it, when we talk about peace, it's often, at the end of the day, it's power over. And it's someone submitting to somebody else's will. And this story of preservation of, of self at all costs stands at odds with the story of Jesus and Christmas, which says, peace only comes through sacrificial love and vulnerability. What the angels announce is not peace by bombs and guns and war and power, but by sacrificial love and vulnerability. This is actually the way home. This is actually what it means to be human. To live with preservation of self at all costs leads unto death, but to live with sacrificial love and vulnerability for the sake of another, you actually find life here. When the angels sing to the shepherds in the fields nearby, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, what they're saying is peace looks like this. It looks like this. And it's so hard to believe we think that's such a nice story, isn't it? but it finds us every year in the same place asking the same difficult questions to us who often live unto ourselves and for ourselves, protecting our interests at all costs. Now you may sit here tonight and say, Micah, I don't even own a horse. I don't have a sword. I don't own a gun. Fine. Is there any way in which the life you live, the relationships you're in, in your workplace, in your family, are driven by or at least filtered through preservation of self at all costs? Because that's the world we live in. That's consumerism. That's capitalism. That's everything around us is telling you preserve self at all costs and you will be okay. And the gospel, the good news, the euangelion, not of Rome but of Jesus says, no, actually vulnerability and sacrificial love leads to peace. It's the only way it can happen. And so I ask you today, what if you committed your life to this instead of this? Where your workplace relationships and your family relationships and your work in the world and the lens through which your life is viewed and lived out was sacrificial love and vulnerability. Jesus says it actually leads to life. Follow me this way. So the angels say, who's worthy of glory? They ask, how do we find peace? But then they say, who does God's favor actually rest on? I mean, who does God stand over and say, bless you? I love you. Who are those people and who is that person? Now, in churches all around the world, in places like this, you've probably heard an answer to that question, and it's often one that's quite narrow, and it goes something like this. God's favor is only for certain people. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Some are predestined, and others aren't. Uh, some are sheep, and some are goats. And if you do this, and you do these things, then God's favor and God's blessing is for you, but it's certainly not for those people over there. Have you ever heard that before from the church? And I just want to maybe stop tonight and pause and ask well, I'll offer another possibility. And I'll close by telling this story about when I was a child at Christmas time. I grew up with four brothers. When people meet me and they hear about my four brothers, there were five boys in my home, and they all say at the same time, like, your mother must have been a saint. She must have been an angel. And she is, and she was. She sat right there first hour. We used to just beat the tar out of each other all the time. The rule at the Witham house was do unto others quick before they do it to you, right? <laughs> There was no shalom ever in my house. People were always getting beat up and hurt. But on Christmas morning, there was one rule. 
Parents, you know this one. It's called 7 a.m. You know what I'm talking about? You may not, under any circumstance whatsoever, leave your bed until 7 a.m. Why? Because if you do, you will wake me up. So it was 7 a.m. We couldn't leave the upstairs. We lived in a two-bedroom house, 1057 Van Buren. There were two bunk beds and a trundle bed. That's the bed that rolls under the bunk bed for three of us in one bedroom. Two bunk beds in the other room, and then my parents slept downstairs on the hide-a-bed, which also doubled as the living room. And the Christmas tree room. And the football field. <laughs> we would play tackle football from living room to dining room. I actually have a scar on my head right here. Totally deke my brother out. Cheap shot right at the end, right into the fireplace mantle. <laughs> Anyhow, that's another time for another day. So 7 o'clock on Christmas morning, we would we'd wake up and it would be like tick, 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 5 o'clock. Tick, 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 6 o'clock. We would all sit up there like rat, you know, like little mice looking down the stairs, waiting for 7. And there was a clock down the stairs and into the kitchen, and we would watch the mice like run back and forth eating curds and whey. And at 7 o'clock, the bells would ring, and we would just like tumble down the stairs, and it was just absolute chaos. We'd round the banister, and then we would run and fly like Superman onto my parents' bed. And it was there that you would see all of the gifts under the Christmas tree, right? Sparkling, dazzling, because who doesn't love a gift to open? Kids, you know what I'm talking about. Like those gifts, right? Tenth, my 10th tenth, tenth Christmas. I remember it like it was yesterday. I got this remote control car. It was white, blue, and black. The thing had studded tires, and I just beat it until it was dead. Didn't run anymore. Who doesn't love a gift under their tree, right? Like there were a bunch of gifts under the tree with my name on them, to Micah. They were bought for me. They were purchased for me. They were purchased with me in mind, and they were mine. only if I opened them, right? Like a gift that's given with someone in mind, purchased with that person in your mind, is only a gift when it's opened. And so it remains a gift unopened if it's not taken by the person it's given to and received. And I would offer to you this evening, who does God's favor rest on? There are no qualifications there is no one on the outside of in. When God picked Jesus, he picked you all. Every human that's ever lived and ever walked the face of the planet, you're in. God's gift of love and grace and mercy on Christmas, it's for anyone and for everyone. There are nobody, no persons, no people groups, no certain types, no certain, nobody is on the outside of in on this one. And it is a gift given to you in the deepest of love from the heart of the divine. And it's yours tonight. If you want it, no gift given in love is forced because love is never forced. It's always a choice. And every year at Christmas, this question finds us and it says, do you want it? Will you open it? Will you live in it? Will you let it guide your life? Will you let it be the thing, the, the lens through which it all goes through? Will you let it be the ballast that takes the ship across the sea? It's here and it's yours. It's free for anybody. And it comes in the most bizarre fashion. A baby saying, here I am. Do you want me? Will you love me back? Will you care for me? And so tonight I just want to stop and I want to pause and ask a couple of questions. What is worth glory? What do you worship? What do you ascribe absolute and ultimate worth to? What drives your life? And you may have come here tonight and it's in pieces and you don't know. And I would offer you to take a serious look at the story of Christmas, which has been right under our noses the whole time. In the quiet, in the stillness, it comes and it says, will you have me? 
Will you ascribe worth to this? Will you follow? Will you make it the thing that guides your life? Because peace only comes, the only way it gets put back together is through sacrificial love and vulnerability. Friends, it's so hard to fathom and it's so hard to get, but it's true. I stake my life on it. I've seen it. And the angels say that the favor of God, the blessing of God, the love of God, it is yours for free and for any and for all if you receive it by faith. And so what will you do? Will you have it? Glory to God in the highest, peace on whom his favor rests. So hark the herald angels sing, my friends. Glory to the newborn king. Friends, Christmas finds us every year and demands us to consider whether or not we believe that the light of God has entered the world in the Christ. So may you go knowing that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance to you and gives you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. If you would extinguish your lights and have a happy new year, everyone. Merry Christmas. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakening community or on Twitter at awakening community. See you next time.